I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, uh, a man who is representing the vast majority of the Crayola 64 Crayon Pack, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Thank you. Uh, Shouts out to all those colors, including Tickle Me Pink. Uh, What was your favorite color back in the day, Charlotte? Um, That's how can you put me on the spot like that? (laughs) That's such an important question. I'm like, I can't remember. I apologize. (laughs) That was... Periwinkle, periwinkle blue. Ooh. That's where I first wow. learned the word periwinkle, and it is still to this day one of my favorite colors. That is the favorite color of Charlotte Wilder, who uh, <laughs> you are hearing as the voice on this podcast, an incredible intro from our very own uh, Brandon Newman. You can catch Charlotte covering sports over with the fine folks at Fox. Her college football road tour has been going all over the country this year, and she has been kind enough to join us now on this podcast semi-regularly as well. And pull a great color directly out of her you-know-where on that, because I was going to default and just say that on the 64-pack, I liked the sharpener Oh, my on that. God. Heaven, heaven! <laughs> I care, I care so much about that that crayon sharpener, and it never worked. And I just thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. 
It is amazing. It didn't have to work. I just needed the option for it to be there. Because yes. we've talked before on this show about how the pencil sharpener really was in its own way in elementary school a chance to go up and flex outfits in front of the congregation. Mm -hmm. This one was really just more about like, oh, I've glowed up enough to have the crayon box that gives yes. me all of this in one setting. It was definitely a little bit of elementary school elitism. It's sort of like the SUV of the Crayola mm, thank you. family. Thank you. It's the, yeah. it's, it's, it's the G-Wagon of, of pencils, uh, of, of cases when it comes to that. Because yeah. we've talked about pencil sharpeners before uh, on this podcast. And Mike says it's to show off a fit. I say it's to see a little booty wagon. Oh, see, I used it for an entirely different reason, which was to be obnoxious. Really? Oh, yeah, if nice. I was annoyed at the teacher or the teacher had like snapped at me or I would just go up and sharpen my pencil for like a straight minute. And they'd be wow. like, Charlotte, I think your pencil's sharp. And I'd be like, it's not quite there yet. And I, I would be, I was like, if you Charlotte. test me, I will test you. Yo, that is dastardly. So you yeah. used it as an act of protest. 100%. Wow. I, I and like a, it's like, it's like an inbounds, like, uh, talking World Cup, like that would get a yellow card. Like it's like inbounds. It feels like when it comes to distractions and like what what you can use as a weapon against your teacher. I don't even think it would get a yellow card. I th I think it would get like the other team really mad at the ref for not calling it. Mm, but like okay. technically, it was within. Right. I was sharpening my pencil. I had to take notes. Yeah, no, you weren't. Uh, you weren't wearing an armband supporting uh, the LGBTQ plus community, which FIFA <laughs> would definitely not allow, and no. thus pull out of there. So, yeah, no, doesn't doesn't support marginalized communities or anything like that. So you're totally in bounds with FIFA. Yeah, so you're good uh, to go. Yeah, exactly. So that's uh, usually how that goes. Very. Uh, all right. So Charlotte Wilder, pencil protester uh, at mm -hmm. the front of the class, joining us here on the pod again, guys. You can check out her ultimate college football road trip. Um, awesome content that's been coming out of there with Charlotte all season long. That's going to be part of the fun show that we have for you guys today. Um, we've got a lot to discuss uh, on that front. We had Kyrie Irving's return to the court over the weekend and some subsequent very interesting comments from uh, Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics uh, and some fallout from that that we want to get to. We also have a game that we want to play with Charlotte as well, get through some topics here. Brandon and I, so we have a new producer that's helping out on our show. Her name is Aubrey. You guys won't be able to see her at this point, but she's here hanging out. She's awesome. She's a proud South Carolina Gamecock alum. Uh, so she is riding she high and sitting weekend. pretty <laughs> after this weekend. Good Lord. As someone that was down in Columbia for that game, I, there was no better place to be than that night in Columbia. I learned for the first time about those cockabooses those tailgating rail cars that they've got around campus there that is vaulted into a it's a there so there's a train uh there's train tracks that go right up next to the stadium and by the stadium and there are train cars there that people can purchase and deck out on the inside ornate bars like owned places where people can go in and tailgate before the game it is instantly vaulted up into a top five place i want to get drunk now because those people were having a blast they have roof setups on them people have little pizza ovens they put out on them i saw ryan mcgee give a tour of the inside of one that had what looked wow. like at least a twelve thousand dollar bar set up it was immaculate and they've got them all littered outside of the stadium and those things were rocking before the game and i promise you they were rocking even harder after the game <laughs> Oh my God, that's right up my alley. 
I've got to get to South Carolina. I thought the LSU RV tour I did was cool, but this is like a whole other or Vol Navy. I'm wearing the I, someone had to represent the other side, so I'm wearing my yeah. Vol Navy sweatshirt. Um, it's it's very big of you. But yes, well, thank you. I uh, love to rep the losers. Um, I do. <laughs> I do. Let's just get that. Actually, just cut that as a little sound clip um, for me personally. Absolutely. Um, like it. <laughs> no, but like so, so a fix. First of all, you guys know I love transportation. Big into trains, and so that seems incredible to me. It was. It was absolutely a sight to behold. So if you have a chance, check those out. All that is to say, Aubrey's a part of our team here now. She came up with a wonderful idea for a game that we're going to get to on this. We tweaked the name a little bit to make it a little bit fatter. And so I think we're going to call it the drive-through, where we're going to go through and hit five topics, a little bit of variety in here. Yeah, skirt, skirt through the drive-through with our friend Charlotte Wilder at the end of this podcast. But Charlotte, speaking of travels and everything that we've had go on here, it is Rivalry Week in college football. We've mm-hmm. already talked a bunch about that on this podcast, but you have a very unique perspective because as we're getting ready, this is you know in some ways a Notre Dame podcast with me and Brandon's background. You spent a lot of time with the USC folks this past week. Don't think I didn't notice you were behind <laughs> enemy lines. You were at UC- USC and UCLA. So what did you learn about USC that can help us win this game? Because I am way more invested than I <laughs> yes. thought I would be at this point in the season. Yes. And everyone's writing these articles about how Notre Dame can be the spoiler of the college football playoff setting and this rivalry has so much meaning now and and I had kind of let go and let God after the Marshall game and mm-hmm. now they've reeled me back in so what can you tell me about USC okay um <laughs> from, from a f- I have a hot take that you guys are not gonna like at all oh. but that as someone with neither Notre Dame or USC ties I think think I can speak for a lot of the rest of the population. So oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm going to save that. Or should I okay. just let, should I, should I start with let, that and then get to the football part? No, I want you to let it fly. Let what let whatever you've got fly. So I think that the reason that Notre Dame and USC make for such an unbelievable rivalry is because they're actually more similar than people at either school would like to admit. Um, I personally have a soft spot for Notre Dame because of you guys, because of Jess Matana, because of, I feel like I've been slowly indoctrinated to the point where if I see a Notre Dame game on a television, I'm immediately like, it's like Pavlovian. I'm like, oh, my team is playing. I need them to win. Like, so I want you to know that I'm on your side. However, however, the USC, the vibe that I got from USC, the vibe I got from UCLA was like fun, let's party, we've got the Rose Bowl. There was like a buoyancy to it, which is hard to explain why that's the word that comes to my mind, but I, I really liked their vibe. Um, USC, there's definitely a level of condescension and and pretension attached that it's like we're this time we're this small private school we are all really smart like look at our cinema stages like i went to band practice because i did a feature on the baton twirler which is a sentence i always knew i would say um and as we were walking back you like walk by these massive sound stages and there was just this sense of like we are better than you because we go to usc and i think that notre dame sometimes flirts with that um, and so I think that it's actually the perfect, perfect clash of uh, cultures, if you will, because also I like that Notre Dame's like, yeah, but we're in Indiana, 
and that's where it is, right? Yeah, yes. it's it, it, it is. The well, Iowa's and, and the Indianas <laughs> and the Illinois confused sometimes. Sorry, I'm the, from the, the Midwest is a tough place. It, yeah, I will say part part of this is also there's the now I think at this point it's more of an old wives' tale than actual fact that. It used to be the thing that people would say at Notre Dame that originally Father Soren and the guys that founded the founded the University of Notre Dame were supposedly on their way to California where they were going to put the university, but got stuck in a snowstorm and parked there and decided, well, we've got all this space right here. I don't actually think that's the truth, but that's what Notre Dame people have told themselves for a long time. So mm-hmm. would feed even more into some of your comparisons about a school that kind of wanted to be in California. Uh, but but at the same time, I think Notre Dame is tougher and and uh, has the upper hand in the sort of vibes rivalry here because USC is soft because they're in Southern California. Okay, okay, this is a perfect baton to hand off because I, I hear what you're saying. Baton. And as someone who, uh, oh yeah, there you go, there you go. Wow, pun intended. Um, as a former player, Notre Dame has so many rivalries that you that uh, a question you get asked a lot is like, what team would you let your son play for? What team would you want your kids to go to, right? And there's all that type of stuff, right? Um, I've always had an aversion to Michigan more than I did to USC. And I think there there's something which you're, you're saying is very true, but when it comes to like the condescending i think it's the hollywood eliteness then the country club hollywood eliteness of usc but it's the catholicism country club (laughs) college country club that is notre dame that it is like more of an open door because the religion is at the forefront of it but i think there's some similarities there for sure because there is a little bit of our nose in the air well it's like it's the big branded rivalry because i'm totally with you the michigan thing felt different and i think a lot of that's proximity we would go over to niles all the time on sunday because you couldn't buy booze in indiana after midnight on saturday night so we go over to niles and do it in michigan and let me tell you you only have to be on the road with drivers from michigan for about a day before you realize they're bad drivers and that thing pisses you off a little bit so there's a lot more proximity in that rivalry they talked a lot more shit for some reason and so all of it just led to a little bit more animosity for me than the USC one that and I talked to Cole Arbach about this yesterday relative to uh, Michigan and Ohio State is Michigan Michigan State is like that Michigan Ohio State uh, is a lot more like Notre Dame and USC like we're talking about big national implications in this game two gigantic brands that most everybody can recognize and a series that has also produced some results that end up altering the course of college football like the Bush push so I think for that reason I was the same way I liked beating USC as much or more like one of my favorite memories was going out to Southern Cal in 2012 and winning that game en route to the BCS title I said to my dad in the hotel that night before, that's going to be cool. I came here to beat this team. And so getting to see my buddy Theo Riddick wearing the leprechauns hat, holding the gilded shillelagh that's the rivalry trophy, and mm-hmm. chucking up and putting down that Trojan V sign to everyone in the crowd who got, who was within eyeshot of me, that's like one of my fondest memories. We also tried to get the bar to stay open when we landed back in South Bend, showed up at 5 a.m., had one tall boy, and realized we were very tired and sore and promptly <laughs> went home. But like that's, that's how much this game meant to me as a player. So I think you're right, Charlotte, that they're probably more similar than they get credit for. And USC was the dominant college team of my childhood. Like the early 2000s and those USC teams are college football to me. Give Reggie Bush back his Heisman, all that stuff. So I don't think you're far off with that at all. And I also think that that, the 
the memory of having been good lasts a lot longer in college football than any other sport. I think that there Mm. are, and Mm. I think that that probably honestly plays into the college football playoff committee more than they would admit. I think that if you, I think that even a Tennessee who before this year has pretty much sucked for, you know, 16 years, 17 years, I don't know, since 1998. Um, it all, but the, all it takes is one season back and everyone's like, oh, well, you know, it's such a storied program. And so I think that USC, having had that in the early 2000s, that's still relatively recent in college football memory. And Notre Dame is always going to be one of those schools. And so you have these brands going up against each other. But I, I think this year what makes that this game so interesting is that you have two schools with completely different starts to their season and i actually think that notre dame is in a better position than than you would think having gone through hell in the beginning to claw its way back to upsetting clemson and you know leaving teams with goose eggs like that's a huge deal that's a huge difference and usc has been riding high the whole time I do think, having watched them play football, they are going to be a very difficult team to beat. Um, I think Caleb Williams is uh, a magician. I think that they managed to stop eventually. I mean, there was like no defense the whole time. And then USC came up with defense when they really needed it. Um, And so I... I don't know. I, I like the story of Notre Dame right now better, personally. I like um, the Marcus Freeman story. I like the resilience. I like the coming back. I think I think USC makes such a great villain because you have Lincoln Riley going and bringing with him, what, 37 transfers? So this is like the stakes are so high for both teams, so high. And there's so many implications for the college football playoffs if Notre Dame can knock them off. Yes, and we get a chance to play spoiler for the first time. And I want to yeah. get, get deeper into that narrative, Charlotte, because you're talking about two head coaches that hopefully want to be there for five plus years. You know, back a couple of years ago, it may have been 10 plus years, but now it's a shorter lived uh, life cycle, right? Where you got an offensive mind in Lincoln Riley and the defensive mind in Marcus Freeman, both like a very, like you said, very different ways of coming to the team. Everyone can get behind what happened with Marcus Freeman and being promoted and the team going uh, viral and everyone's like, yay, head coach versus Lincoln Riley's shit show of a, a entrance to USC. And I was like, is there a, a mascot and a bear and (laughs) somebody juggling that that random band to in front. That really was an underrated college football visual of this last calendar year. Totally. Yes. It was a joke. And I I think, I think now we get a chance to like chapter one of this long stead rivalry that, that will hopefully have a lot of NFL products eventually. Definitely. Definitely. It'll, it'll have a lot of NFL products immediately from what, like even on the defense that doesn't stop much of anyone's got really talented players in it that are going to be NFL guys. And Charlotte said, Caleb Williams is like some David Blaine mind freak stuff. What that guy finds his way out of is the equivalent of someone wriggling their way out of a straight jacket over shark infested waters. Yes, absolutely. And watching it in person, it's funny because like my first reaction was that the USC team looks smaller than most other teams. Like the individual guys are like, it, it, it was weird, you know, and then you find the linemen and you're like, Oh, okay. They're the big guys. But like the, there's a um, scrappy isn't the right word, but uh, there is definitely they're riding high on 
their belief in each other, I think, at this point. Um, also, just I have to say, college football in California is weird. Like, it is so not weird. what I am used to. You know, driving through Pasadena, you wouldn't know there was a football game until you hit a little bit of traffic. But any other any other college football town, you know, the whole place is decked out and, you know, Baton Rouge turns purple and, you know, Athens is is bright red, everybody. And it was, you know, it eventually sold out, but it was empty for, you know, the first quarter, those seats weren't filled in. And I think there's so much going on in LA that, you know, who can blame them on some level, but it, it was a, it was a strange environment after all of these super intense places that I've been to. It is. Well, as LA, yeah. yeah. I was going to do an LA branding thing real quick. And oh yeah, say, please. Let me, let me clear out for our you. resident law, yeah, yeah, Los yeah. Angelino, yes. <laughs> LA Brandon himself. Uh, LA, LA alum, LA alum. No, but uh, there's a reality to in Los Angeles, all the sports take a back seat to the Lakers, to basketball, uh, and but the star, shining star of football in Los Angeles is USC Trojans. It's why they were able to fire up the machine again so quickly. Because to Charlotte's point, the memory is there of seeing celebrities on the sideline at practice. If you catch this at the right time, and based on the way that the Lakers are playing right now and some of the way that's going... If Lincoln is able to go and somehow win this game, win the Pac-12 title, and find their way into the CFP in year one, all of a sudden, this thing becomes the cool show again in town yeah. in a hurry. A lot of people were pointing at year two, so that could absolutely change what the what that environment Charlotte described is around this team going forward because we've seen proof of concept. If you play this right, this can very much become the place that people want to be. So it is one of the you know exciting games for this upcoming rivalry weekend. And we got a bunch on there. It's the one that's certainly near and dear to us. Um, and, and we're looking forward to that one. But uh, Charlotte, I you and I. Oh, Michigan. Sorry, Ohio go ahead. State, oh, yes. Oh, you're going, you're going to the game this weekend. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm flying on okay. Thanksgiving, baby. Um, okay. So I think that there is, I think that the opposite, I think what you said of these two massive, you know, Midwest schools and then Harbaugh and Ryan Day, these established figures just the clash of that compared to the the narrative around USC Notre Dame is really fascinating right now yeah no this is deeply entrenched two team yes. of yeah I can't believe that I'm going by the way like these games get we it, we choose where I'm going before the season starts and the fact that you have Michigan and Ohio State at three and and two in the rankings going against each other and that I get to be there. This feels like a, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm a little, I'm a little scared in a good way. It's yeah, I would say you're going to a playoff game. You are yeah. going to a legitimate yes, bona fide absolutely. college football yes. playoff game that at least right now we'll wait and see what happens. You know, we've got the next round of college football playoff rankings. that will be out and all those things that there's a chance you could sneak two big 10 teams in. But right now this does feel like a pseudo elimination game. So yes. everyone check out that content coming from Charlotte. Um, uh, he's been doing great stuff on the road all season long, repping the Vol Navy here today, um, and, and it's been really, really fun. Um, I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know is it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. 
Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Wanted to switch gears a little bit though, uh, Charlotte, because you brought this up to me the other day. And Brandon, you and I hadn't had a chance to talk about it on this podcast uh, until now. We had spent a lot of time discussing the Brooklyn Nets. And I said with them, everything seems to happen every time all at once. It's the Bo Burnham line, a little bit of everything all of the time. Mm -hmm. That's been the Brooklyn Nets story. And so we've had Kevin Durant coming out and doing that interview with Chris Haynes that ended up going viral for some of his comments about his teammates. We've got Ben Simmons getting set and making his, as people are listening to this podcast, will have made his return to Philadelphia to play against the very beat-up 76ers team. And we had Kyrie's return this past Sunday uh, to the Brooklyn Nets. They were playing the Boston uh, They were playing the Boston Celtics in that game, correct? Am I... Uh... I don't even know. I, I, I was say, so you know distracted I, by... <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the thing is it seemed... Oh, no, it was the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm sorry. So they ended up beating the Grizzlies. Kyrie Irving returned in that game after what I believe amounted to an eight-game suspension after reposting a video containing anti-Semitic propaganda. Uh, he obviously had the list of demands from the Brooklyn Nets and their owner, Joe Sy that needed to be met in order for him to return to play after his initial attempt at an apology obviously ended up being anything but... And so Kyrie came back, he scored 14 points and had five boards in 26 minutes in that game, but it still ended up being about what Kyrie Irving was saying and what was going on around him because at the Barclays Center, you had a protest going on outside uh, of the arena itself during the course of that game. It was the uh, members of the Israel United in Christ group uh, that based on the ruling by the Southern Poverty Law Center, they have been designated a hate group. They were handing out flyers and chanting in support of Kyrie Irving. Uh, you had a whole situation where Jalen Brown from the Celtics, who is a member of the NBA Players Association, one of its brass there, reposting that, saying energy, because he claims he mistook them for an all-black fraternity, uh, very popular fraternity, Omega Sci-Fi. So, all of this happening on Sunday in the middle of what is also a basketball game. So to Charlotte's point, it was really hard to remember what happened in the basketball game portion of this. But where did this all land with you, Charlotte? Obviously, there's a lot of layers of it that, that touch you with the names that I just mentioned. But where did this land with you when you saw this unfold? Yeah, well, thank, thanks for giving me a, a, a place to sort of talk this out, Mike, because, you know, I'm Jewish. And um, my grandfather came over from what was then, what was Moravia basically, which was like a, is the, is the Czech Republic now, but be, has been like a bajillion things since then. And, you know, his family came escaping the rise in violence against Jews. And then half of his family was killed in concentration camps. So to me, this is a level of, personal and serious and um i i think what has upset me the most is the way it's been covered and the lack of coverage i think giving kyrie irving a platform to sit there and say 
that he is upset that he's being labeled an anti-Semite because we can't know what's in his heart when he has posted the link to a video of a group, as you said, labeled a hate group, that has also claimed Jews fabricated the Holocaust and that Jews are trying to just keep black people down. And I think to me, the most heartbreaking part of this whole saga is that it has become that. It has become this narrative of black people and Jews that there's this myth that Jews are trying to keep black people down and that black people need to unite against them. But all of this is like a white supremacist dream. This is what people want. This is what people who want to stoke division, who want to keep that going. And I think it's really uncomfortable for a lot of people, especially white people to talk about because you run the risk of being seen as racist if you defend you know, Jewish people in this situation because it gets so warped, but that's not what it is. It's not about being racist or saying, it's about saying no matter who is saying it, saying that the Holocaust didn't happen is, is unconscionable. Like there is a special place in whatever afterlife you believe in for people who deny that humanity of such a tragedy. And to me, it's just appalling, it's scary. You see Kanye doing this, and then someone goes out and vandalizes a, a Jewish cemetery that says Kanye was right. By giving Kyrie Irving a platform to answer questions in a bullshit way about his anti-Semitism, the fact that he can't own up to it, the fact that he can't say to everybody else defending him. People are arguing with me on Twitter saying, I'm the problem because I'm calling out Kyrie for for being for stoking lies and dangerous rhetoric against my people who I have a direct relation to that violence. And so it is this it's just really gross to me that he keeps doing this, that he's not being held accountable. I think Judaism and and the Jewish people in general are, have been that scapegoat for thousands of years um, because it is a smaller group. It's something that not everybody feels connected to or the uproar just isn't quite there. Um, and I think that, that this feels very long-winded and rambling, um, but the, the, what, I, what I really wanna end on in this, in this <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that my colleague, Jerome Weitzman, who's an incredible basketball writer who writes for Fox Sports, his wife's grandmother um, was a Holocaust survivor. She was 12 years old. Um, her family was murdered. She made it out, raised a family in New Jersey, went around the country talking about, you know, um, anti-Semitism and how important it is to never forget and all of that. He went to her funeral uh, and her burial on Sunday. Um, and then he went to Ky the Nets game and he heard Kyrie say all of this and he watched you know, this hate group hand out flyers that say the truth about anti-Semitism. And that to me is a whole thing. You know, there are two parts of this. There's the people who are saying horrible, dangerous things. And then there are the people who have lived the truth of it. And it's, it's really appalling to me. Yeah. I, I think that's what we've always tried to preach at the center of all this. There are very real consequences for the words that get said. And I yeah. think part of what's really popped up in, in a lot of, watching all this unfold to me is 
because I heard John Stewart talking about this, about how we need to make room for conversation amongst groups because that's where learning ends up happening and that that's how you get people that are part of marginalized groups that are being pitted against each other to kind of see more of the commonalities in there and that, you know, is punishing Kyrie the right way to go about all this. The problem with this is none of this has been a conversation. It's been a bunch of snippets, right? Like, we got in trouble originally because Kyrie posted something without any explanation for it. He didn't post what he thought. He didn't post any specifics about it. He just posted, this is the product, and then let everyone make their judgments from that and then acted surprised when we all pointed out the things that we saw that were problematic in that. You take Jalen Brown's role in all this. Said he just saw people, he said, I saw people in my community supporting Kyrie Irving, and he said, I saw that and I wanted to make sure I pushed that out there. Wasn't a lot of thought to it. It was ball hit ball in that instance Mm -hmm. and i think because everyone seems to be operating off such a pinched nerve in this off such a raw place from this that it's a lot more reaction than it is taking the time to do the work and that's the the part that i guess when you look at the core of what happened with the nets is even more disappointing because it was clear hearing him talk kyrie irving is not different he's not changed on the other side of this seeing kyrie's comments and uh, Part of me wonders if sports po- uh, sports policies in general around punishment for these things are really in a place that's going to get someone better in a hurry, right? This is all predicated around the Nets wanting the guy to play basketball again. Right. They were trying to put out whatever they could. If Kyrie Irving was half the player that he is now, they would have just released him, and this would not have been nearly the story he is. But he's great at basketball, and so they want to go out there and recoup you know, a return on investment from the millions of dollars they're paying him to play really great basketball. And nowhere in that process, it seemed like, all right, we're going to check a box so that the Nets and Joe Sy and everyone can look at this and say, hey, look, we did our thing. We're showing our work, which we ask our sports teams to do. And I understand, but we see on the other side, there wasn't a lot of change in the one area where it looked like people were actually going to engage. Like you were going to have him sit down and talk to people. You were going to, in theory, have a dialogue and for nothing good to come out of the other side of that. I can't be surprised when tweets and things and snippets that aren't whole conversations but are more reactionary in this end up getting replaced you know by what was supposed to be the area where actual like community was supposed to happen an actual crossover was supposed to happen and didn't because like you said charlotte i i think in general and you know i i can't really empathize with this position you know i'm a cis white male so it's not like i have a marginalized you know group that i can really see through the eyes of on this but like you said this seems like something that anyone who is looking to sow the seeds of division would greatly enjoy amongst groups of people that probably have a lot more in common than either side realizes totally totally um i completely agree i think you know it's I've I feel like I tweet this all the time because it's sort of the only way that I can think to encapsulate the whole thing but you can't say that you are fighting for social justice or that you are against racism and then propagate anti-Semitic tropes, just as you cannot say you are fighting anti-Semitism and you are for social justice and not condemn all forms of racism. Those two things, those two things go hand in hand and it, it has to be a concerted effort because, um, that's the only way you're going to get somewhere. And, and, and it really is the perfect way to divide people by, by pitting people who have very real past and current traumas um, against each other 
and feel the need to protect each other. You know, I think that there's a desire to be with your tribe or be with your people and be like, I've got your back. So in that sense, I understand what Jalen Brown was saying. I understand, you know, but but you can't be Jalen Brown and drive 13 hours to Atlanta to march for social justice in 2020 and then come out and retweet a hate group with energy. You can't do that and have any credibility. You're a hypocrite in that case. And, you know, it, it just, it really makes me so sad that that is what this feels like it's being boiled down to because it's not about a choice. It's not about who you support. It, it's about see calling everybody out for their for their bias and their bigotry and understanding how real the consequences of those words a simple action uh, even an answer at a press conference um is is so much bigger and carries so much weight because of the amount of people these guys reach and and i haven't been very impressed with how other people in the NBA have, I, I haven't seen much of a um, reaction in terms of like Kyrie cut it out, I guess. Well, yeah, I feel like, I feel like there's the reason behind that. And I can only, I'm only going to speak to this in this way because I am a black man that the majority of the NBA is right. And I think there's a reality to a lack of information and the power of of misinformation and how fast someone can be misled, right? Yeah. There's now on Twitter, I don't know if Elon Musk kept us going, but after reading a headline, you could retweet, people were so quick to retweet, it's like, oh, you sure you wanna read the article first before right. you spread this to your X amount of followers, right? Like, I think we're so easily manip manipulated, and this started a long time ago with the former president and honestly the, power of the hate speech that he was able to to push and we have been dealing with the other side of that uh for we're still we still are uh, to this day so I, I say that to say a lot of people who looked up to Kyrie and saw him as a czar of humanity and public rights and and race and religion maybe in a way that most African Americans aren't as haven't spent as much time vested in as Kyrie so you looked at him as, as a as a, a beacon of light of information he was misled and acted upon it and it seems that his ego or his new education and understanding from these teachings has led him so he's he's not able to apologize and he, he isn't and when we talked about this before Mike I said I was happy that he didn't at the time because he hadn't learned anything. And I didn't want to hear him lie to the media to play basketball because he hadn't learned anything. Now we are dealing with, like you said, this is a white supremacist dream, right? The division is here. Mm -hmm. The, the faint flames have been stoked. People have been mobilized off of 140 characters, which is the sad part about all of this, right? To the point where I'm not sure Everyone's credibility should have already been in question, but I think in the time of George Floyd, a lot of people were able to put their backs against social justice and change and, and Black Lives Mattering and things of that sort. But in reality, there's a, lot of, there's a lot more that goes into being an advocate of that that I'm not sure a, a professional athlete has the time to do in a just or reasonable or respectful or right manner. 
Well, I think it is. It's it's having to kind of see from a perspective that's not your own. And when we went through everything that you talked about, you're right. We leaned on the women in the W, the men in the NBA, because these are people who are giving us their experience. Like, this is what I have dealt with when it comes to racism and police brutality. This is not me supposing. This is real life experience that I've dealt with, that even being a millionaire and a professional athlete hasn't shielded me from because my skin is still this color and people still see, see me a certain way. And it seems like that that's been what's being being asked here it's hey like i understand you might not have this perspective as someone who is jewish and has heard their things this whole their whole lives all they're asking is to be heard and right now everyone's operating from a defensive posture i i liken this to when you know you've heard people and you know white people said hey what you're saying or what you're doing is racist people tend to hear you are racist and it becomes personal and it hits a nerve and then you stand back and you get defensive and you say well i'm not racist for x y and z reasons and then people end up saying dumb friends like look i dumb things like oh look i have a black friend and all of that happens because people get in this defensive posture from certain things that to them become accusatory when really it's just someone trying to usually tell you or ask you like hey just so you know this is how it sounds to the people who this affects directly and that's something that i think everyone now as we go through this and the vantage points kind of shift and in this case this conversation coming from a vantage point we haven't heard from at least this directly in quite a while is a good learning opportunity to kind of empathize with and look through another person's eyes yeah, I also think there's maybe one Jewish player in the NBA. Uh, and I think that that makes a big difference because if you are exposed to people, you yep. are like, oh, cool, this is Charlotte. She celebrates Hanukkah and she, you know, is a weirdo. But it's not like, oh, here's Charlotte. She's a Jew, which like I know people who are not Jewish who are like, can I say Jew? Like, am I allowed to call someone a Jew? And I'm like, I mean, that's what we are, but it has become so vilified and used as the Mm -hmm. other so much um, throughout history that it, it feels like this mysterious thing if you're not exposed to it, where it's really just like the, the Jewish faith, of course there are extreme levels of it that I do not agree with and treatment of women um, I feel like that's sort of across the board in religion. You can be like, okay, the weird ends, not yeah, super right. into. Um, but I think that, you know, the way I've been raised in it and have understood it, and my grandfather was a cantor. Also, my dad's not Jewish. So I, Charlotte Wilder, that's not a Jewish name. So I think sometimes I feel like, what right do I have if I sort of fly under the radar to, but but also like that's, I was bought mitzvah. Like my mom's father and grandfather were cantors in the synagogue. And one thing I do, I, I, this is such a lovely image to me is my grandfather, um, they lived in Baltimore and he lived down, my great grandfather and he lived, he was the cantor at the synagogue. So that's where he worked and he would walk to work every day. And in the fifties, you know, white flight, most of their neighbors left and my great grandfather stayed and a bunch of black families moved in around him and he became really close with them and they would walk him to work every day and they called him the reverend and like what a beautiful moment right and like my my great uncle um he defended he was a lawyer who defended you know black people in baltimore and then he moved to palestine i mean to israel to defend palestinians so it's like i have these models in my life of the counter example of entrenching yourself. And I'm not saying that to be like, look at these good Jews or look at these good white people. I'm just saying it to be like, that is the kind of spirit 
that I would so love everyone to be able to move forward with instead of these right. really sad, ugly divisions. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's going to be even more difficult because even instances that you, that you talked about with your family, like some of those black people around may not have understood you, your grandfather's culture the way that it would take to give any level of, of sympathy or, or understanding. I think there's, I was, I was in my late twenties when I went to my first Seder. Like, you know right. what I mean? Like I think there's a, there's a, a reality to an American culture Judaism as a whole is been muddied uh, to, to, to as and that's probably a clean uh, way of saying it. And there's a lack of understanding. So yeah. I think the, uh, the lack of people speaking out is a result of that as well. So it's a lack of understanding of the, the subject matter as a whole. And I mean, God, if you take that all the way back to the origin, if you just had someone who did not fully understand not speak out, Kyrie Irving would have never talked about this and we wouldn't be in this place in the first place because what this was based off of was half truths of something that we think a person and didn't fully spend the time actually grappling with. And so like the best version of this going forward is that Kyrie Irving goes back to playing basketball. We don't have to hear and you know ask about this with him anymore and that this isn't something that people continue to give him the opportunity to speak on publicly in that way because the results were dangerous. We saw that. That stuff was very real, the results that Charlotte mentioned. And so now we're getting to a point a little further away from that even after his return back to the court where you had those protest groups. And as we get later and later into the week, I keep hoping that the tentacles from that, the dangerous ones, yeah. will start to die down some if all of a sudden the source at the center of so many of these comments and some of the people that have spoken up are given less and less space to do all that. It's not to say that Kyrie Irving should be damned from talking about anything ever again. To Brandon's point, Kyrie's done a lot of good for a lot of people. That's what's, as, I think, at the heart of the, uh, one of the things that's most disappointing about this is this was at one point in time a person whose intentions seemed to be in a very good spot to help a lot of people and instead did the exact opposite in this scenario. So... The Nets uh, have a lot on their plate, as always, but this sort of transcended all the other basketball things uh, that we had talked about uh, with this team. Um, that Thank you for sharing, Charlotte. Yeah, no, well, we have, thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you for giving me a, a – I, you know, I feel like writing about this stuff is difficult, but having a conversation about it becomes much more of a back and forth and a – I don't know. I just, I really appreciate it because I, I hope I didn't offend anyone. I hope I didn't say any, you know, like the wrong thing. Um, but I think it's really important to try to talk about it and to present a perspective that, you know, maybe people listening to this, maybe, maybe some of you don't know any Jewish people. Well, hello. Um, you know, like it just brings everything back to a, a place of hopefully humanity um, and and become goes away from like whatever weird ideas people have of things I guess so I really I really appreciate it no it, it it's good I think it's good for people to hear feedback right like I it, when I was listening to you talk I was reminded of like two times where was kind of told something that I hadn't considered, right? And you can choose to react a certain way to it or you can take that as feedback. And I remember, I think it was Mina Kimes that brought this up, just talking about being a woman in public places and talking about riding on an elevator and how that can it sometimes be a nervous experience when it's you and a man in an elevator and you get mm. off on a floor and all of a sudden that person is trying to be polite and will open the door and let you walk out first when actually that makes certain people uncomfortable. And that was something I had never considered 
pattern. And now every time I'm on an elevator, I get off first. I get off first. I wait and, you know, try and make sure I'm not the only one in there because I'm a 6'4 tattooed white guy who, while I think I'm pretty nice, a random stranger doesn't know that. And then in summer of 2020, I was hosting the morning radio show with my dad and Trey. So it was three white guys sitting up there in the middle of a time of racial turmoil in this country. And we did the thing in hindsight that I regret so much that so many people did was not that we had black voices on because we needed help talking about this, but then we did the thing that as I talked to, you know, Brandon and others that kind of reflected on this, the exhausting thing of asking, well, what should we do next? Like point us in the right direction. We're the well-meaning white people. And I heard from so many people like that's exhausting to have to have your education be our problem in this. Like, listen when we say things and then do what you think based off that, but don't keep coming and trying to show us that you're asking. And that was another thing that as soon as I heard it, I was like, well, oh shit, of course, that's that's how that's perceived. And why would I continue to act in that way after that? So, and, and again, that's not to prop it up and say I'm some sort of like, you know, beacon of morality or anything like that, but it was just a couple of things I very much remembered being asked to consider that I hadn't before. And the fix on the other side is usually never all that hard once you just get past the shock of being told something you hadn't thought was a thing before. Totally. I, I also think that, the only thing anybody can do is try to be better. And like the idea of accountability um, versus, you know, punishment or cancellation or banning, um, because, you know, you can say someone's canceled, but they're still like walking around. And so I think the only way to actually make anything better is to try to, you know, if, if someone has any inclination to improve or learn, then try to support that process um, because otherwise, yeah. yeah. Well, what are we doing? I, I always think too, like affect your small circle. Like not all of us can go out here and have the right. kind of platform that a person like Kyrie does, but you've got people in your life that you can talk yeah. to about this. I'm sure you've got someone, you know, who has to ask questions, make yourself a safe space for that. And then try and affect your circle as best you can. I think is totally. all that most of us can do. Sound the trumpets. It's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK horse an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIC. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. Um... While that is all very well-meaning and very an important conversation, Charlotte is also someone that we have a lot of fun with, and so yes, I do want to send people out of here. On a f no, I, I always feel like I always feel guilty when I talk about no. serious stuff. I'm like, people came here for jokes. <laughs> no, no, it's too, it's important. Charlotte. People came people came here for you and to hear that, and they got to. But we also want to make sure that they get all sides of you on this, yes, and love so. It. This is uh, what brings us to what I think right now. So it was pitch, uh, uh, pitched to us again by Aud, uh, Aubrey, our new producer. 
Uh, and we wanted to go with the nickname, the drive through here. Five quick topics on the way out with our good friend Charlotte um, of things that I saw on the internet, which still exists, by the way, even after we Shocking. did Twitter's funeral the other night. It's amazing. It's still there. So, and thankfully, the internet and Twitter still two different things. That's crazy. That's that's crazy to think of. I know. I I had a stunning realization the other day because I was one that when I originally saw the metaverse introduced as an idea, I was like, that'll never work. As I dove back, my put my face in Twitter for like eight hours straight before realizing <laughs> to my horror I was already in someone's metaverse and I'm a massive oh, hypocrite man. so we all mind are. explosion yeah. yeah come on yeah. <laughs> so if you have uh, someone else who's got internet brain worms like us maybe you'll enjoy this one so I'm going to give you guys a topic I'm going to say we're going to provide as quick an answer on this as we can and then explore it and unpack it on the back side of this. And so I will go our guest Charlotte first. Brandon, you can go second, and I'll bring up the rear on each of these questions. Are you guys ready? Yes. No, yes. All right. Let's start off in the drive-thru. Um, the O'Reilly Auto Parts jingle team. The singers that originally helped to sing the song in that commercial, if you're unfamiliar with it, the O-O-O-O-Reilly Auto Parts, ow, got together wow. at a person's wedding and reunited to do that jingle live in person. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so, Charlotte, <laughs> if you could have any jingle performed at your wedding, what would it be and why? Easy. Um, Bernie and Phil's Furniture, a New England local chain, and it goes, uh, Bernie and Phil's quality, comfort, and price. That's nice. <laughs> oh, Bernie and Phil, and I think they were married, and they had Bernie like little Phil's. cartoons. Yeah, quality, Aww. comfort, and price. That's nice. Simple quality, and effective, and clearly <laughs> life lasting. All right, Brandon. Yes. Same question yeah. for you. As much as I don't frequent this restaurant, <laughs> the jingle is goat level status. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, ribs. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, ribs. Chili's baby back ribs. Barbecue sauce. Barbecue sauce. That group, by the way, I like. you got to have them officiate the wedding. They got to perform at the after party. They're incredible. Amazing. Yeah, and I had a rendition. Oh, thank you so much, Charlotte. Uh, I had a saxophonist at my wedding, but now think back, that it would been it would been nice to have the Chili's guys. <laughs> Live and learn. I prom I promise if I do eventually ever get married, I will effort to make that happen just so that you guys can enjoy it there. <laughs> I would say this: while the Chili's one is, I think, an objectively great answer. As a child of New England myself, I think for me. The one that always stuck out would have to be the Foxwoods Casino jingle. Yes. Which Michael is imprinted on the heart and spirit of every New England child when they come up. Take a chance, make it happen. Pop the coke, fingers snapping, spin the wheel, round and round we go. Oh Life is good, life is sweet. Grab yourself a front row seat. Let's meet and have a ball. Yeah, let's live. <laughs> For the wonder of it all, meet me at Foxwoods, Foxwoods. Oh my God. First of all, you can sing, my dude. I can sing that yeah. song. I can sing that no, song sing. pretty well. I haven't well. heard he that song. I probably haven't heard that song in 25 years. And it came, I didn't remember the words, but I, I remember the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Also, wow. incredible Frank Sinatra vibes for a casino. 
Uh, and you know what? Like, objectively, True. the second best casino in Southern Connecticut. Yes, like, Mohegan right. Sun, infinitely better, but Foxwoods has great big money bingo in the summer and an absolute bop of a jingle. So I uh, forgot how much the Golics love a good casino. Yeah, no, we... There is, <laughs> there, it is not surprising that we ended up working for a gambling company. Uh, <laughs> Talk about community. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, question number two here as we go through the drive-thru. Steve Spurrier came out this weekend. We're in rivalry week. Uh, the former South Carolina and Florida coach was talking about the South Carolina and Clemson rivalry, talking about what Dabo's been able to do in this modern age, what he did back then, but then ended up throwing astray the way of the Tennessee Volunteers coming off a weekend where South Carolina upset them. He said, quote, it was impressive uh, Spurrier said, and those receivers caught everything. The O-line gave him time, talking about Spencer Rattler and the great game he had. He said, yeah, I almost feel sorry for Tennessee. They're not going to win the division. They're not going to win the SEC. They're not going to get in that Final Four. They're just going to have a little bit better than average year now. Someone told me, quote, Tennessee's probably headed for the Citrus Bowl. I guess that's a kind of a mean thing to say. <sighs> Hating ass Steve Spurrier out here in full force again. So, Charlotte, who is your favorite hater in the world of sports? Can be player, coach, media member, all the above. Uh, I think after last year's finals, um, it's it's Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. They threw so much Mm. shade at everybody after they won. They were reposting stuff. I'm trying to – what were the specifics? Steph was like – Oh God, I, I I can't remember. I've got to look up what the specifics were. Oh, just it, was, it was they were reposting a lot of stuff from the Grizzlies, the team that had yes. famously talked a bunch of shit to that team that they went back and ago. cleared the drafts on. Yes, time, yeah. yes, and Clay was just getting real saucy in his post game pressers, and they were all like, "Everybody said we would do it." So that comes to mind. Um, also, uh, I think. I can't decide which one to say first, but Saban and Jimbo Fisher um, uh, yeah. hating on each other, like those barbs that they were trading last summer um, about NIL deals and, and buying players and, you know, and then having to stand back to back when they played each other this year was really great. Impressive, impressive. Yeah, no, and listen, they are, I think, went underrated as far as being a team that became, actually, I shouldn't say that. They were properly rated for a while for being a team that most people found insufferable after that 73-win season because they recklessly talk shit in a way that I appreciate. Everyone just yeah. thought because Steph was smaller and you know looked like he had a baby face and all that stuff that he was somehow going to be nicer. No, he let everybody hear it, and it was incredible. Yes. Uh, Brandon, who do you got for uh, your favorite hater in sports? Saban's a good one. It makes me think about Bill Belichick, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I think I got to go with John Stockton. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't I don't know I don't maybe Carl Malone. I, like I hate the Utah Jazz so much and like all that. that not that I shouldn't say that. I hate the image, the tropes surrounding Utah Jazz, the fact that like African Americans have difficult time there at things. So so Carl Malone mm-hmm. being like kind of a piece of shit. And then every time you hear him, he's like kind of talking shit. Like actually, Kareem Abdul Jabbar is probably my favorite hater. Now I think about it. Thanks. I, I talked me into my answer. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. yeah, yeah. All That's right, a good there you one. Go. You found your way home. You workshopped that on the fly here. I, uh, I just sorry, yeah? I just realized that there's like an obvious one. 
So you go well, first, Mike. If you say it, I'll be like, okay, someone said it. Well, I just wanted to give credit to I think sports media's greatest hater, and that's Skip Bayless. The way mm-hmm. that he can continually yeah. jujitsu something to the detriment of LeBron James on Twitter has become an art form that I actually appreciate. Like, I disagree with most all of it, and I understand that it's kind of part of the pro wrestling show, but just the fact that he can always find a way to Miyagi it back to some sort of slight about LeBron is an impressive commitment to one's craft over so many years and it is one of the best rivalries in sports. I agree. I agree. I, I was going to say Michael Jordan. Oh, wow. Ooh, How yeah. did I not say that? Ooh. Remember that? And I took that personally memes and like all of his shit with everybody from the last. The last dance was, uh, I think, actually a beautiful piece of performance art because it was just Michael Jordan telling everyone who he ever had the slightest inclination had wronged him to fuck off. He and did. He just that. opened up the burn book. That's all that was. Oh, Michael true. Jordan had a burn was... book and he just but, popped that oh. open. Speaking of a burn book, I got to change my answer yet again. I think this is the fifth time. <laughs> Scotty Pippen. Yes. Ask Scotty Pippen. <laughs> the ultimate hater. Yeah. The ultimate hater. The, the 98 Bulls, just a collection. The 98 that was the, Bulls. That the, was the... The player haters bulls. That's exactly, it's exactly what that team ended up being. Um, All right. um, We'll move on to the next question here. EA Sports uh, announced that their college football game had been postponed now until 2024. Obviously, demoralizing college sports fans and video game fans everywhere. My question to you guys around the world of college football is a lot of people talked about the features that would be available in this game. If you could add any feature to the upcoming EA Sports college football video game, what would that be, Charlotte? I think you should be able to play as a member of the band or as the mascot. Oh, my. Okay. Oh my God, the mascot would be electric. Because you can have, if you, if it's, is it traditionally a two person game, a two player game? I don't know. You can play, you can play single player also and go through like dynasty mode where you're in charge of one team for an entire season or multiple. Okay. I think it should be a three player game. Hmm where the third player can be one of the like pomp and circumstance and you have a different way of getting points and like you kind of have to mess with the people you're playing with so it's like if you um you know accidentally step onto the field you like you're just trying to mess up their game a little bit or you're playing in a good way where it's like if you do this many flips or you know you i don't know I, i'm still working it out yeah like- no like a, like a highlight, like a, a little little bonus area for the for the end zone if the mascot does X amount of flips in a row or something. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so if like, you're the stand, if you're the stand, like me who right. don't I don't love video games and I don't play them, but like in college when my friends were playing them and I would just sit there like that for me. If I could have held a remote and every once in a while, like every ten minutes, done a flip and gotten points for it beautiful yeah press a you're the stanford cardinal mascot if you want to unfurl a banner saying stanford hates fun and get yourself suspended yeah, that would exactly. be incredible yes yes well I, I will say this as someone who has a child uh a little kids remote like like that would be perfect for a kid let them control the mascot yeah. while while the game's going on they feel involved in the thing not really getting or the band member maybe like they start a cheer because i always thought the band in that game was very annoying oh press uh, y to start the wave yeah. yeah. Ooh, I like, I so, like, Brian, what you're saying okay. is that I am I am a child. 
you you like he, child games? Yes. Yes. Are you you be you would suffice with the child video games? Yes, yeah. I think I, I think I have a childish spirit. Yes, <laughs> and that's a beautiful thing. See the world through a child's eyes, Brandon. What would be your at addition to the video game? Mike, you know I'm not fun. I think I would add a actual <laughs> class test that you have to complete in between every game. Like obviously you can simulate and like just like fight through it. But remember, remember in Madden when you take the or the, no instead of like you would take the Wonderlic test. Like the Wonderlic oh, was a yeah. part of you could take the Wonderlic no, test like to show your aptitude, and it was very difficult to do in this video game to take these tests so i would love like maybe like even demand a 1500 word essay on something like i i would love to just like really put put them in our shoes it would be did, good were you guys around was were your sats did you have to write an essay component yeah they should have no. in in the ncw okay whatever brandon but did, they should have where you have to write one and then they send it into a special video game person who Ooh. judges it and you can't play until they've given you your score you've got to be academically eligible i was gonna yeah. say if you turn it into like some version of elden ring or red dead redemption where now it's like an art like a role-playing game and you actually get to interact on the world i haven't played those games in a long time so forgive me if there's already been a version where you can interact with the campus that you're on but to have to make it to Ooh. study hall go oh to the God. dining hall convince your teammates Just not to in. go get drunk on thursday nights because you know the coach is going to have a GA checking in at the front of the bouncer's or, line. Or or try to use self-control when all your teammates are like, hey, come with us, come with us. Yeah. You're sitting at your desk. <laughs> and doing yes. like, mm, Press mm, X to stay X, in the X, library. X, X, to stay. <laughs> to stay in the library. Jam X. Exact, exactly. So, so uh, yeah, so there there we go. All right, so that would be a, fan, that would be a fantastic addition. Uh, all those involved, please, EA, hit us up on that one. I understand NIL collectives could be a part of that, too. I would still advocate for bag mad mode, bag yeah. man mode, uh, but call me old-fashioned. Um, oh, wait, on the topic of video games, I have um, a book recommendation for you guys. Um, Mike, okay. I know you... I know you post about books sometimes. Brandon, I think you would like this too. Um, Brandon's face. <laughs> no, I'm a book guy. I was going to I like, to, I like you guys life. trading subtle barbs about your off-field interests. Brandon's like, Charlotte, <laughs> you like little kid games. And Charlotte's like, Brandon, I'm like, you, you, can, you, you read, might like right? books. <laughs> you might like books. No, Heard no, no. of a letter? Um, uh, it's called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. And it's about mm. um, these two friends who grow up together and end up making this a video game and sort of their careers. And it's beautiful. It's it's so good. But as if you do like video games, I can imagine that there's an added layer of coolness to it. There we go. Book recommendations to go along with this. You, you want go. dynamic. Charlotte Wilder <laughs> is a chameleon. Yes. Yes. Got it on Audible and I got a credit, baby. Yes. I really think you'll like it. I really think you guys will like it. Speaking of stuff that we like, uh, guys, the halftime performance that may have defined my lifetime resurfaced <laughs> on the internet yesterday. Uh, Creed, one of the many Thanksgiving halftime performers, back in 2001 uh, in front of the Dallas Cowboys crowd. The Dallas Cowboys have a kickoff event during halftime of Thanksgiving every year where they kick off their um, Salvation Army uh, uh, Red Kettle sale or uh, Red Kettle fundraiser, excuse me. 
every year that has raised a bunch of money and is a fantastic cause. Um, Creed was, I think, the best version of that halftime show. They've had plenty of people. I think the Jonas Brothers are performing this year. My question to you guys, starting with you, Charlotte, uh, what is your favorite Thanksgiving memory that's tied to sports? You know, the Scott Stapp flying in with arms wide open, it's hard to top. I think mine is such a boring answer because I don't really have a specific one that comes to mind, but I just, I loved getting, if you had like, if we did a sort of midday Thanksgiving, like a lunchy Thanksgiving, getting that second plate around, you know, 4.45 or 5 and just watching football in a couch with my cousins like that was really that that's that's sort of the best i can give you right now no that's a great answer brandon yeah you're muted (laughs) i said mike (laughs) you said brandon i said mike and you were muted so so do you have an answer? Are you going to ask me the question? I asked you the question. It's the same question I asked Charlotte. If you were four questions in, do you not understand the paradigm of the game? <laughs> I know, but if I'm muted, I thought maybe you go recue. All right, no, nah, Brand- I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to go. Go ahead. Yeah, are, you try, are you trying? Are you trying to stall an right now because you don't have an answer? You don't have an answer, and I already no, took the cop when. out of, of yep. general Thanksgiving yeah, you did, merriment. You did. I'm trying to find which one of them singers sang at the Thanksgiving. Uh, saying, uh, uh, what's that? What's the one we sing before the songs or before the, the national before? anthem? That one, wow, who sang that at the Detroit Lions game? Was it Patty LaBelle? Oh, so I'm, trying to, I'm trying to find the name. So, I'm all right, Brand, well, Brandon, I'll tell you my f- other favorite halftime show performance that's related to that okay. one. I think it was in 2015, Big Sean did the halftime of the Detroit Lions game, yes. and nobody in the crowd was feeling it. And this was before no. the general music community had turned on Big Sean in a way that I could have never seen coming when we were at, <laughs> at Notre Dame. But it was... I, I don't I don't know why you just did that to me, Mike. Because Mike knows my history of Big Sean. Because right when he was getting popular, we were in high we were at college together, and I was. Uh, anyways, for him to say this, it, it did hurt. It did hurt, Mike. I remember when Big Sean was there, and nobody gave a f because he moved to L.A. He he went where it was. Uh, I'm gonna say safer, but he he got a nicer house out there. I imagine Eminem has the one big house in, in Detroit, so there's nowhere else for anyone to be. Mm-hmm. So is that is that your answer too, Brandon? Did I just bail you out of not having an answer on that one? Do you want me? To, I, yeah, I don't got no answer. Go. All uh, right, no. I can I can get you to the fifth and comparatively easier question then, since we will not talk to Charlotte again before Thanksgiving. I wanted to ask each of you guys, starting with you, Charlotte, what is one thing you're thankful for in sports from this fall? Mm. I'm thankful I have a job in sports. That no, um, I'm thankful. I'm I'm gonna be corny, but you guys know that I'm corny, so that's okay. I'm I'm thankful it. for people like you in sports media who can have conversations that are thoughtful but still fun and don't devolve into the lowest common denominator. Because I think this fall I feel like we've seen that a lot. So to find that those corners and of the internet and, and those people who are still doing it talking about sports in a fun way, but also being responsible about it is, it's just, it's just really lovely. And so I'm very grateful for that. 
Oh, very kind of you, Charlotte. We're I'm also grateful for all of the dogs who are mascots in college football. There we go. Okay, all right. It was all gonna right be, my answer was going to seem right really now. weird after your very nice answer. but no, no, um, I'm grateful for Smokey, for Miss Rev, for Ugga, for Butler Blue, and uh, mm. any other canine mascot I'm forgetting. Shout out to Butler Blue uh, and his wonderful trainer, Evan. Uh, they're yes. wonderful, fantastic people. Uh, shout out to Cock Commander, who I got to see last week down in South Carolina. Not a dog, <laughs> but a live mascot with a great name that we uh, only acknowledge as Cock Commander on this podcast. Uh, yes. Brandon, what are you thankful for? Um, there's just so much things that I could be, really. But actually getting a front row seat to Tom Brady's demise has been really, really nice. It's uh, <laughs> unfortunate that his divorce had to happen at the same time. I really didn't want that to happen. Um, that's not That wasn't in the plan. Uh, that wasn't what I talked to the voodoo lady about, but to see how he's <laughs> looking worse and appear, uh, apparently feeling worse. Like last year when I thought it was the year that he was going to be over, he was like second in the MVP race. And I was like, what, what in the actual fuck is going on? But now that he's down and not doing well, the rest of the NFL is really not doing well. Like I was going to be thankful for just like defense because like passing, like, you know, just it's not a thing. Like, it was like defense. it was a passing league. <laughs> And it's just like defense, like congratulations to everyone tackling and taking the ball away from the offensive and their smug diva fingers. But uh, outside of that, I just really, when I really just take a break and think, slow down, think about my family and how much I love spending time with them and I would never put anything over them. I just think about Tom Brady's demise and it just really makes me happy. I have a lot of respect for that. Do you know how I know that Brandon's a dad? He just said he's thankful for defense. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God! You outdated yourself. I'm thankful for Holy a consistent shit. run game and a ball control offense. I'm thankful for defense that win championships. Yeah. I don't know if you heard it travels. For... <laughs> I'm thankful for nine in the box. Yeah. Uh, I want a good Oklahoma drill with my children at Thanksgiving. Oh, Remind oh, them of the finer things in life. Amen. Um, I uh, am thankful for TCU as a social media football program. If you haven't seen them, every week after TCU wins a football game, they put out the most drug-fueled, drug-induced trip Mm -hmm. of a a celebration video involving a cavalcade of frogs and some weird slogan that's in reference to their opponent for the week. Watching Hypnotoads rise to power over this college football season in year one for Sonny Dykes has been an absolute joy. And for college football that is generally very weird online, uh, watching this team and their actual account embrace this watching their head coach wear a shirt with hypno toad on it has been an absolute joy i don't know what happens for them at the end of this season they've got college football playoff hopes hanging in the balance but i do know that college football was better for having them involved this year and i'm very thankful for them go frogs did you see me try to remember what their thing was and I, act and do like a half horns up, the big, which the is big the worst t- thing you could do the Big 12's got a lot of hand gestures, right? Like you go to Baylor and they've got the paw. You go to Kansas State and they've got that. You've got the TCU Horn Frogs in there. You've got hook them. You've got sawing them off. It's well, I mean that's technically SEC now, and that's almost got, SEC too. I mean but. SEC ones too. You've got A and M thumbs up, and then you know USC not SEC. I'm Fight all on. over the conference victory, and when, then UCLA is four for some reason, which I don't quite get. Maybe UCLA. I don't uh. know. 
There's so many, I can't keep them straight, but I think I've said this before on this podcast that the horns up is the coolest one. So I always like go to do that because it looks like the rock on sign. And then I realize that I'm insulting everybody at the campus I'm standing on. Oh so, yeah. The important Horns thing up, is horn frog froggy eyes up. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Does the South Carolina did the Gamecocks do anything? I imagine them like doing like a shake weight. No? Sort of. They th- like that. They oh, throw okay. they throw it up like this, a little a little shock hang ten shaka bra. That's okay, an awesome okay. one. That is, they've got very- trains and this. I gotta go. Very chill. The vibes are immaculate. As they are with our dear friend Charlotte Wilder. Guys, make sure you check out the Ultimate College Football Road Trip as a part of Fox Sports. You can read Charlotte. You can check her out on social media as well at the Wilder Things. Char, thanks so much, buddy. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boothill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Brandon, nothing left to it but to do it. You know what time it is? You know I do, Mike. And it's festive. So let's go there. Let's make our escape. Come on, let's go there. Let's ask, can we stay? Can you take me higher? To a place where blind men see. Can you take me higher? To this, that, and the third you see. Let's make our escape. Come on, let's brand in. Oh, man. What you guys missed after we had that conversation with Charlotte Wilder and cut off the taping was I went on Twitter and lost my shit because Scott Stapp, the lead singer of Creed, started following me in the midst of a day where I had retweeted that old viral video. Still trying to come to grips with that. Still trying to you know remind myself to stay humble and hungry to wake up in the morning and rise and grind because I've officially made it now. I feel you, Mike. I hear you, and I didn't know who that person was, but I learned about it today. Um, but, I mean, Creed, higher, 1999. I was trying to put myself in your shoes. I think this was like when MC Hammer followed me on Twitter. It was a big day. I felt, I felt like there's nothing much else to, to really accomplish on Twitter after that. 
No, Elon could destroy the website now because I can go out on top. Uh, as always, download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us that five-star rating and a review and tell Brandon what a great job he's done with Creed. This, that, and the mm. third today. And Brandon, let's kick off this, that, and the third with a little connection to something we've talked about recently. Zach Wilson obviously got dogged out by a lot of people for going out in a post-game press conference when asked if he feels like the offense that gained two inches per play in the second half. Yes, that's a real metric of that game. If that offense had let down their defense, said no, and was promptly taken to task by everyone. Albert Breer tweeted out yesterday, little nugget I picked up. Bears quarterback Justin Fields apologized to his teammates after Chicago's loss to the Falcons in the locker room post-game. He told them the defense gave the offense a chance and the offense didn't get it done. Went a long way with the guys after he had also played hurt to end that game. Breer went on to say, my understanding is Fields' defensive teammates stopped him as he was finishing the apology and told him they had his back. Really cool moment for everyone. Nice sign of where Matt Eber has taken the culture in Chicago. So, Brandon, uh, Zach Wilson appearing to lose twice this weekend to the Bears' only one loss, and also I think a very well-timed nugget being released after a lot of people were starting to ask questions of the Chicago Bears coaching staff and how they had been maybe overusing Justin Fields' legs to the point where his shoulder got hurt. <laughs> but now there's, there's a different connection, legs lead the shoulder, because of sliding, I imagine. But this hasn't been said, I don't think. Is Justin Fields having the career we thought Trevor Lawrence was going to have? Um, No, I think Justin Fields is leaning into a gift right now, and the offense has leaned into Justin Fields' gifts. He's still got okay. steps to take as a passer. Like, clearly we've talked about he's creating some, you know, I worry about them creating some bad habits with the way that they have gone and operated this offense right now, mostly because they don't have okay. a lot of other weapons there. But he's right now been able to achieve, I think, the best stretch of success by a quarterback in that class. Trevor Lawrence, there's been moments, there's been halves. We feel like we've touched briefly on it. Uh, But both of these guys also got done wrong by the prior administration in their building, so we're trying to come back from that. Oh, 100%, Mike. I'm just talking about that class as a whole. And for Trevor Lawrence to be the LeBron James, the Arch Manning of that class, the guy we were looking at from, from high school on, Seems like Justin Fields is 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 finding his uh, stride a little faster than Trevor is. Well, I mean, remember these guys have been one and one A and one B since they were in high school. They both grew up sure. in the same area. They were both the two best players from that area. Both went on to be stars that would meet in the college football playoffs. So they have been intertwined in their cosmic dance up the football ranks for a long time. Right now, no surprise to anyone who watched Justin Fields that he would be capable of being really good, and that somehow Matt Nagy and that staff last year chose to put a lamp under a bushel basket in the way the Bible says not to do. So that's just free game. Don't do that one. Um, Brandon, let's get to that. Uh, Little World Cup nugget here. Uh, thing I found out yesterday, Argentina is supposed to be really good. Uh, they have Lionel Messi, who is one of the two best soccer players and has really been the best soccer player walking the earth for quite some time, uh, along with Cristiano Ronaldo. They had that cool moment the other night before the start of the World Cup where Ronaldo was talking about the two of them being a part of big moments on the big stage. Um, Argentina came into the World Cup as the second favorite, according to DraftKings Sportsbook, just behind Brazil. Uh, Argentina was plus 500 odds to win the whole World Cup. 
and was in the midst of a 35-game unbeaten streak at the national team level going all the way back to 2019. They were two games away from tying the world record for the longest unbeaten run currently held by Italy, and it's gone. Uh, Saudi Arabia went out there and beat them 2-1 in what many people are calling one of the more stunning upsets in World Cup history. I can't believe we're getting started. I, I, this is this too early for me, Mike. Too early for me for the biggest upset in World World Cup history. I'm not even watching yet. I don't know. I know. Instinctually, instinctually, just have it on in the background yet. Like, I, I, give me some time, guys. It is true. We're not at the point yet where we're fully warmed up. Like, I feel like once the U.S. plays England, most of us will come online. That's our NBA December 25th for world soccer. Um, But also, it's kind of different because in the group stage, it's not single elimination. So this happens, and there's still a real path for Argentina on out of this group stage. So it definitely means something, and it definitely makes the road harder for them. Brandon, one could say, makes things a little messy. That is Gojo does the World Cup coverage. Uh, Brandon, let's get to the third and get to something that we do know pretty well here. The College Football Playoff Committee put out their latest round of CFP rankings and not a lot of surprises, but now we've got the table set for a very exciting next two weekends here. Uh, The committee's rankings, which again, this is... Uh, there's one more ranking next week after this uh, rivalry week uh, weekend, and then the final rankings will be Sunday after conference championship weekend. Uh, this time around, we had number one ranked Georgia, number two ranked Ohio State, third ranked Michigan, fourth ranked TCU, and then after that loss, uh, Tennessee suffered to South Carolina. We go LSU at five, USC at six. Alabama at seven and Clemson at eight Tennessee now with two losses jumped all the way down to number 10 which Brandon you know a a little interesting the committee had kind of put themselves in a corner with where they had put LSU relative to Tennessee because remember LSU and Tennessee now both have two losses uh, and one of those losses for LSU was an absolute ass whooping at home to Tennessee both of them own wins over Alabama so you can understand that there's a little bit of confusion there, even though now for Tennessee, one of their losses came against a team in South Carolina that was unranked at the time of that win. Yes, Mike, but as Nicole talked about yesterday, I love a strength loss. And I yeah. love that they're being punished for the strength loss because at just the time of the season, like looking at the slate, the fact that Notre Dame feels like the 13th best team in the nation and it feels right. It, it almost uh, feels like correcting, riding the sails from that. Uh, high, I thought we were ranked too high uh, going into the season. Um, yeah, and, and that one's very important, by the way. Notre Dame sitting at 15. Uh, uh, Heather Dinich wrote a great piece for ESPN.com. Notre Dame is kind of the center of so much of the college football playoff discussion. If Ohio State were to lose to Michigan, Notre Dame is looked at as a quality out-of-conference win for Ohio State at the beginning of the season now. They are part of the reason Clemson is having such a tough road to try and keep themselves relevant, despite being 10-1 and and having a chance to win a conference championship because they went on the road and got blitzed by Notre Dame, and now Notre Dame gets set to play USC this weekend. And Brandon, this is where it becomes super interesting as far as what we see as the road going forward. I think right now there are four teams that control their own destiny. Georgia, the winner of the Ohio State-Michigan game, LSU and TCU. 
I think based on where they currently sit right now, strength of resume, we always talk about what's the chance the average top 25 team has of accomplishing your same record that you've gone out and done. TCU is number one currently in strength of resume. And while Iowa State's not going to help that this weekend, whoever they face in the Big 12 championship likely has a chance to be another ranked win on their schedule. So I feel like they'd be in good shape. The winner of the Georgia LSU game is going to be in. And if LSU somehow beats Georgia, I shudder to think that a one-loss Georgia based on how well-respected they be would get left out ohio state if they lose might have a little more of a chance but i think if michigan loses that out of conference schedule is going to bite them in the ass so if you're usc at this point you need lsu to lose that's your that's your path in if georgia beats lsu then you've got sec champion georgia the winner of ohio state michigan undefeated tcu and then i think if usc won out they would be in the mix and if you're clemson you need lsu and usc to lose before this thing is all said and done if you want to be involved and you got to go take care of north carolina in the acc championship game so plenty on the line for a bunch of teams but i think when we get down to clemson that's where we can cap it as teams that have a real realistic shot of being involved in the playoff at this point yes because of the conference and the acc championship game mike and shout out to uh, smeddy uh who was on gullick and smeddy talking about how notre dame would be the best team in the acc i never like hearing about notre dame being in other conferences unless we're talking about them being the best team in that conference and uh, i i i like the narrative right now and and clemson's lucky that we ain't over there or else notre dame would be still alive yeah, uh, it's if, especially this season, it's interesting to think about. I think I saw the stat Notre Dame is 28 0 in regular season ACC games uh, since they started their like tacit five game agreement with the conference. Right. And, yeah. you know, looking at that ACC championship game, the one common thread will be both North Carolina and Clemson got beat down by Notre Dame and beat down pretty hard. So, um, but. Wait a minute, there's, I, wait a minute there's, there's no way there's. Oh, since the. Because Clemson's had our ass multiple times in a regular season yeah that was after that was since notre dame started okay. playing you know all the other Post sports came Kaiser. into the yeah when notre dame started having all their other sports play in the acc and agreed okay. to play five acc oh, games a year okay. in the okay. conference so, so that was when they started having their cake and eating it too uh yes. so to speak even though we disagree with that statement around here yes. um I don't think there's any way for Alabama to make it back into this as much as people might try and invent a world where that's possible. But um, USC carries the banner for the Pac-12 if they lose to Notre Dame this weekend in a rivalry game. I don't think the Pac-12 champion is going to get in. Um, Obviously, we can play out a bunch of scenarios where like Clemson is not necessarily out of the woods if South Carolina in that rivalry game plays the way they did against Tennessee. That is a team that is very capable of going out if they play like that, of doing that, but can they muster that up two weeks in a row? LSU plays Texas A&M this week. I don't think they're in any imminent danger there, um, but I, I I still don't think that LSU is actually going to beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. I think as much ground as they've made up this year and as good as that team looks, uh, defensively they've been good, but offensively the way that's come on as of late i just think the georgia machine is operating at too high a level to be beat by something that is in year one of its program and when you look up and down this thing right now it is interesting to look at brian kelly in year one with lsu at number five sonny dykes in year one with tcu up at number four lincoln riley with sc in year one up at number six dan lanning with oregon at number nine in year one up uh, up there uh you know uh we talked about um 
Josh Heupel in Tennessee in year two up at number 10. So you go on and on down the list. First-year coaches have done really well. Yeah, Marcus Freeman at 15, Kalen DeBoer at 13 at Washington. It's been really impressive to watch that element of college football have so much success this year. It's a portal thing. It's a testament to the programs that they inherited, certainly. Every situation's different, but there's no denying a lot of these guys have been able to jump onto the scene and accomplish some pretty special things in year one and in a couple of cases year two yeah i'm excited like we talked about with charlotte i just you know i feel like this is the beginning but it could be the beginning of the end we we have had coaches flail out after those first couple years i don't oh, yeah. name anybody by name but rich rodriguez in michigan but uh you know i just think you know it, it could change but i hope it's all all on the up and up yeah, no, listen, uh, Kalen DeBoer from Washington just got a payday, caught a contract extension yesterday, which fans at Michigan State will tell you can go sour pretty quickly. And uh, the way that that season's gone with all that new Mel Tucker money, uh, it's it's no steady guarantee at this point. So um, USC fans, I think you got a path forward to make this complicated. Um, three straight potential ranked wins to end the season. Um, Clemson, though, I, I mean, for all the talk about how that team has been so far below the Clemson standard this season, for them to be 10-1 and with a chance to be 11-1 and and playing for a conference championship that they will, I think, very much be favored to win is sort of an insane place to find ourselves. And again, a lot of respect to Dabo for somehow being able to pull that off year in and year out. Um, we somehow managed to pull off a podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. Make sure you check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel at Gojo uh, with Mike Golick Jr., the tab under there. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow.